How y'all doing? How many of y'all ever had on a pair of these fabulous bracelets? I see a couple hands in the back, a couple hands throughout. How do they feel? Humiliating, okay. Better yet, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of this right here? To control. Exactly. But not all times we should be able to do this right here, to free ourselves. I spoke earlier today at the Warren County Day Treatment Center, and majority of, well, all the young kids that was in there ranging from 14 up until 18 had these on before. Was I surprised? No. That movie, what we just got finished watching, was very, it, it was touching, but at the same time, I saw that it was very real in so many areas, especially my life. I was that one of them numbers from areas of year 2000 to 2001 and 2002, I was that number. How can I be that number? Better yet, I'm gonna show you how I cannot be that number anymore because that's what's important. Growing up in Paducah, I was raised by um, an adoptive family where my real mother wanted to be with a white man, but he said, I will marry you if you get rid of your black son. So I was put up for adoption because of that reason. And now here she is coming back in my life as I'm 44 years old talking about, hey, I love you. But my question to her wanna be is, what do you love about me when you don't know me? You don't know my past. You don't know what makes me happy, what makes me sad, what makes me sick, what makes me just be me, what makes me? So when I graduated high school, for, and I just told all my other ones earlier that I was in a mental, physical, and emotional home growing up in Paducah, abusive home, and I couldn't I couldn't wait to, to leave home to join the military. When I joined the military at the age of 17, uh, so I graduated high school, I turned 18, on my 18th birthday, they were cutting all my hair off. I was like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Needless that I know, what was I about to get into? In the military, I was, one, I was already a rebel. I think I was, because I saw myself I didn't want to hang out with the military guys because they were so square acting and it wasn't about the life because I was so, they was already used to all of that, the partying and everything growing up, but I couldn't because as a senior in high school, I had to be in the house at 10 o'clock. My mother said, I'm keeping you from the streets for a reason. I ain't trying to hear that reason. I want to know what you're keeping me from. So all of a sudden, I get out there and I see the women. I get a taste of the alcohol. I get a taste of the streets. I said, was she keeping me from all of this? I'm having fun. I thought I was having fun until this guy ran me off the road in my car and I did a few flips and hit a few trees and it crushed my humerus bone and it wasn't funny. I don't know why they call it a humerus bone. Then um, my car got caught on fire with me in it and I burned my ankle up in the process of trying to get out. 
And then I accidentally shot myself with a nine millimeter because of the lifestyle that I was in, didn't know the gun was loaded. I took the clip out and I pulled the trigger on accident and it shot myself in my leg. Doctor said, if I had been thinking of a woman, I would be less of a man today. So I was like, wow. And then I got hit by a car and broke my leg. All of this is the lifestyle I was living while selling marijuana, hoping that the military police didn't catch me, drinking all the time, not going back when I was supposed to because I, I couldn't because I was under the influence of the money, the power, the women that I was having, everything else, that it kept me from being who I was supposed to be. Did I tell y'all I was, I was raised in a church home? <laughs> I didn't tell you that. I wonder why. All of these, what I just named you, were speed bumps in my life. I didn't catch that. When I came back to Paducah, Kentucky, I got hit by a car from my son's mother who broke my leg, you know, trying to teach me a lesson. It didn't work either. Then I, a couple days later, I get caught with trafficking marijuana under five pounds. The judge told me, well, they, they released me out on bond. And while I was out on bond, I caught another case, trafficking cocaine. Because I said, I don't know what I said. I, my way of thinking was, if I'm getting ready to go to prison, I was already trying to do the math. Trafficking marijuana carries one to three. Am I right? I heard you was a judge, so that's why I'm asking. <laughs> it depends. It depends. Okay, so it carries one to three. So then all of a sudden, I decided saying, okay, I don't have that much money. I'm going to start selling cocaine. The money was coming in. I felt as though I was almost like a Nino Brown type guy. Money was coming in. Money was coming in. Oh, my gosh. I had all the women, the money, the clothes. I'm a pretty boy. I said, I can get, I got everything going my way until... This guy set me up with the police, and when they raided my home and put the handcuffs on me for the last time that day, I said, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. When, I, when they put me in that cell, all I could do was look up and say, God, help me, because now I'm in trouble. That day happened 17 years ago today. Today marks my 17th year that I have not had any kind of alcoholic beverage. That's ironic because, uh, you know, when Ange uh, asked me to come up here and I was like, sure, on my anniversary day. But when I was incarcerated, I heard, I saw a lot and I heard a lot. I heard people say that when they get out, they're gonna ball till they fall. Meaning that they was gonna get out and continue to do the same thing over and over again. And next thing you know, guess what? they right back in jail. Some of us, and I, I said earlier that I was a, a statistic because I was young, black, male, going to prison. I said I cannot be that statistic and go back because I didn't leave nothing in there. They told me that I couldn't make it on the outside. I told them, yes, I can because I have to because I cannot go back. Was it easy? No. When I, when I was writing letters home, nobody would accept my phone call. Nobody would send me money on the books until I met my, my fiance at that time. 
and I'm not going to get into that story. But anyway, it was, it was so that all of my friends that I was hanging with, I didn't see them no more. Didn't hear from them no more. No visits. No nothing. God, what do I got to do? All of a sudden, I keep on looking in. Uh-oh, there's a new guy coming in. Oh, there's a new guy coming in. Man, a new, a new young guy coming in. A new young kid coming in. A revolving door for kids coming in prison. Why? We're trying to make it. They're trying to get ahead. They're trying to beat the system. But it's not working. Whatever the reason were or was, they couldn't do it. Don't check me, DJ. <laughs> when, when a judge, when I finally went to court, when he told me I was going to get them five years to run consecutively with my other, my other sentence, I just knew it was over. Again, when I, these guys up there in Blackburn Correctional Complex, they told me prison is God's roadblock on the path to hell. Yeah, we can go through speed bumps all day long, whether it be in a shopping center area or apartment complex, there are speed bumps in our life. But when that roadblock comes, we have to turn around. I could not just continue going that way. And so that's one thing that told me I cannot do it no more. When I finally, I realized that I did the 12 steps without even knowing I was doing the 12 step program. I had already, I was checking things off. And I was like, wow, I did that. Was I an alcoholic? Just because I drank every day? Just because I can down an 18-pack of bud like, like it was water? No, I didn't have a problem. It wasn't a problem until it became a problem. And that's so, and that was so true about a lot of things. I was trying to hide all the emotional abuse, the shyness that I had, the different types of uh, emotional stress that I was being, being put up under. I was a study covering it up with that Band-Aid of the alcohol and the drugs. I didn't use drugs. I sold drugs. And it was a big, to me, they said um, I, couldn't, I couldn't get high off my own supply. So my thing was not drugs, so I didn't have no problem in, in having it. I, I was more with the women and the alcohol and the money and the power that I was gaining from that. Do I regret it? Absolutely. When I, sit, when I come over here and sell an eight ball of cocaine to a pregnant woman, I didn't care about that unborn child. All I cared about was that money that she had in, my, in her hand. I didn't care about these people getting their lights cut off with a kid right there. I wanted that money. And it's so easy to get caught up on that money. But then I'm like, I was not raised like that. I cannot continue to go down that road like this no, no longer. And so I said, what do I have to do? I know all these young guys coming in, I got to do something to help them out. Stop them from coming back in. So, so when, I got out of, when I got out of prison, I did 25 months of that uh, five-year sentence. And I got out of prison March 12, 2002. A couple months later, I was, uh, I forgot how old I was back then. Yeah, I was 30. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> On my birthday, I had $1.25 to my name. As a man, I had $1.25. And I said, I had tears in my eyes. I said, I can't do this. I'm used to having money in my pocket. I'm used to being able to come and go as I please. Well, I reached in my pocket, and I, I was going to call this guy to tell him to front me an ounce of, of cocaine again, because I knew he would. And a picture of me in my prison uniform fell out. I said, look at this guy. 
number 143699. They didn't recognize me as my name. They recognized me as that name, that number. That number that I still, it's been 17 years since I had that number on, but I still wear that number today like I, like I still know it. Like it was a phone number, like a social security number. Because that was my identity for so long, for them 25 months, 143699. I couldn't get past that. So then I went to school, I got my associate's degree, and then I was working on my bachelor's in social work, and this teacher told me, you are a convicted felon. You cannot get a job nowhere in the state doing social work. Okay. Thank you for telling me that I can't, because now I'm gonna show you that I can. So I went and finished getting my bachelor's, and I changed over to human services and uh, counseling. Did I tell her, I wanna tell her, I wanna write her a letter and tell her I just graduated with my master's because you told me that I can't do this. But I'm trying to tell her that I can do this. And so then they said, oh, well you have the history, but then all of a sudden and I was in the process of getting my, my master's, I applied for a couple jobs for the state. They said, no, because I had to check that box like that dude said. And I guess as soon as I checked that box, my application went over here. So they called me up and said, you was a perfect candidate until we looked at your background. I'm sorry, but we can't hire you. They said this job was paying 40, 47, 48,000, but you can't make it because of your background. Within, within two days apart, I received two letters saying the exact same thing. They cannot do it because of my background. Was I depressed? You better believe it, because I messed up my life. They said, uh, as a convicted felon, you cannot work in a school system. I was a behavior coach at Paducah Middle School for two years, three years, because they told me that I can't do it. But the, but the principal in there realized, what better guy that can reach these kids than somebody who's been out there on the street where these kids know? So I did that for three years. They said I cannot adopt kids. Me and my wife, we put over 30-something kids through our home through foster care. Oh, and we adopted three kids. <laughs> Regardless of my background, I said these handcuffs symbolizes what I couldn't do for so long. And I can take them off freely now and say they cannot hold me down. I end up getting a lawn care business. I have my lawn care business started out with four yards pushing them out of a Mazda 626. Now I have 124 yards and a pressure washing business because they told me I couldn't do it. Now I'm my own boss. I can do it. And hey, that's it. That's 30 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes. Any questions? Any questions? Question in the back. My adoptive parents, my father was an alcoholic. He died before my 21st birthday. I left home May 30th. He died May 31st from sclerosis of the liver. My mother, again, she was the more the disciplinarian. As a senior in high school, I had to be in the house curfew at 10 o'clock at night for a senior in high school. For every little thing I said or did, I was either getting front-handed, backhanded, knocked up under the tables, beat the, beat, woke up, bruises, blood coming out, 
I mean, it was just emotional. You know what I'm saying? I, you will not make it. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. But then in 2007, she found out that she had breast cancer, bone cancer. I'm sorry. How do I say breast? And then all of a sudden, I was her primary caregiver. She passed away in 08, but I was there right there every step of the way for her. Right, thank you. Yes, sir. Um, I got out. Of, I got off parole 2005, and possibly I was able to vote for the next coming up uh, election. So I had to do all the paperwork where they told me before that I couldn't do it. But then all of a sudden, I had to educate myself to say what can I do to get my voting rights back. So they said you all you have to do is apply. And so when I applied, I was able to get my, all my civil rights restored, except for holding a gun. That was nothing but time. And maybe um, possibly a couple of dollars on stamps to mail off all the letters that I had to get. You know, other than that, it was just time. But um, I was able to vote and I got all that back. But the only thing I'm trying to do now, I'm trying to get my, my pardon. That way it'll free me some more, but they keep on telling me I can't because I'm a class C felon. I have a class D, but the class C for trafficking cocaine they cannot um, get it taken off my record. And so that's the only thing that's holding me from my expungement. Yes? If y'all have a question, will you please ask it into the microphone so we can all hear? Thank you. Do you know anything about Class A felons? No, I do how not. how you restore their rights? No, I do not. But um, there's, a, there's a thing here. It was actually coming out of this area up this way, um, Clean Slate, Kentucky. Kentucky Clean Slate. There's a uh, it's, See me after class. See, after class. See me after this. There's a girl, a lady named Molly, that I can possibly give you the information for, and she might know more information about that than I do. What they, what they haven't, what nobody has really told us about that we can actually apply through the local uh, city, county where you got your conviction at. Gang, uh, you got to go online first to get your record uh, submitted in, pay the two hundred and something dollars to go before the judge. If the judge grants, uh, if he grants you that uh, expungement or whatever, you you, forfeit, you you lose the money. But if you don't get it, they give you the money back. So that's where where you can start right there. So I just want to say that you great story and it really makes me happy because I think we have so much going on in our society and so many influence that come into us. It's almost overwhelming. Um, you know, you want to know what's going on in your community. You want to know what's going on in the world. And then, and it's just overwhelming. And there are times when things go against the way we would like them to be. They go against giving us that good wonderful path to follow that would be easy and everything would work out perfectly but every once in a while a person says you know what stop this is me and I can and just like right. you said people can tell you you can or you can't but it's you inherently that says I can and it's not easy but it is wonderful and so congratulations thank you. It, you you do make me very happy thank you thank you I am um 
recently for the state of Kentucky, I went and got my DUI 20-hour uh, certification that I can teach the 20-hour class. Somebody, first offense DUI, I can teach that class. And recently, I just came up here to Richmond, and I passed a test to be a DUI assessor so I can come in and assess the problems. And somebody, one of my clients said, how can you, and I told them, I tell them a little bit about my history because that way it'll make them feel a little less comfortable, more comfortable in talking to me. I said, because I want you to be real with me because that's the only way I can help you. And so then they started to say, okay, well, then they asked me a question, well, how can, how can you be a counselor doing this? I said, how much experience do I have? They was like, okay. <laughs> okay, it makes sense. Can I, can I, oh, okay. Can I, can I ask you a question regarding the film? One, the last couple of days I've been reading about the Blue Lives Matter program that seems to be going out the legislation through our state. I, my immediate impression was I now see that as the legislation, again, that's just going to again put more people in, in become incarcerated because now if you if if an officers do something really awful i can just see them saying anything that anybody does or even making up stories that will now become a hate crime just any interaction with law enforcement do you have any feelings or have you heard anything about it? Not too long after I got out of prison, I had bought me a 2002 Chevy Tahoe sitting on 20s. And me and my wife, we were in an area of town where it's a lot of drug activity. But we were just dropping off one of our youth from, from a church event. And all of a sudden, this cop started following me. Then all of a sudden, he, pulled, he cut the lights on me. And so when I stopped, when I pulled over, I said, what are you doing, practicing? Because you know I ain't do nothing. So he, he couldn't, he said, uh, you, I didn't see your license plates. I said, okay, look in the back window, because I just got the truck. Look in the back window. So he finally came back there. He said, are you starting to get smart with me? I said, no, I'm just trying to see why are you pulling me over, because now, is it, am I being profiled? I said, because now when you run my name, it's going to say all of this other stuff. Now what's going to happen? Don't don't judge me on my past. All of a sudden, couple couple about a year later, I'm coming out of another area, and this sheriff got behind me, cut her lights on again. Can I help you? What did I do wrong? You get out get out of the car. You have a arrest for your uh, a warrant for your arrest. Yeah, right. What I do? Tell me what I did. She said. All of a, she said I ain't got to explain nothing to you. I said, ma'am. I'm on the phone right now with the, the uh, your your uh, with John Hayden, who is your supervisor, your boss. I said, hold that thought. All of a sudden, she came back and said, "I'm sorry, sir. We got the wrong person." Yeah, you did. You do. My I have a lot of best friends right now that are cops. My my cousin is a cop. They had one pull, one. I just said the other day, he pulled up beside me, mean mugged me. Like, what is that about? I wasn't on my phone texting at that time. <laughs> but I was just minding my business. And then, I, so when I put it on Facebook, everybody was like, you know, 
it's a problem. But this one cop said, did you bother to say wave at him? I said, no, I didn't wave at him. He's, he's already mean mugging me. So what am I supposed to do? I said, I got his number, and I, and I, put, and I sent the email to John Hayden again to say, hey, is there an issue? Do we need to sit down and talk about it? Because I'm not, I don't want to be racially profiled. I don't want to be that guy no more who's trying to go, go back to jail. John sent me an email and said, hey, I apologize. He was having a bad day. We all have bad days. But I'm not doing anything to break the law no more. Leave me alone. Do they matter? Yes, they do. Do you matter? Yes, you do. I pulled up to a lady that was on her phone texting, swerving. I said, hey. She rolled down the window. I said, your life matters to me. Stop texting and driving. I guess my concern was just a matter of most law enforcement officers are wonderful people trying to do the best they can do, and I support them 100%. But regretfully or unfortunately, some either get burned out or have experiences where they become, uh, you know, and I guess on that is, and I'm going to say this, <clears throat> even in my profession, we get burned out as a counselor. My wife's a counselor. I'm pretty sure if whoever, you, you've been doing it for so, so long, you will get burned out. But that's when you got to do self-care. That's when you go talk to a counselor to say, hey, why am I feeling like this? What am I going through? Do a self-evaluation, a self-check on themselves. You know what I'm saying? I hope that they get to the point where if they see themselves having them type of thoughts, that they say, hey, it's my time to give up. I'm done. I can't say what's going on on that person's mind. Like I tell my kids, even the, the youth groups that I uh, encounter, we can already meet with them on the first Sunday next month, and I have some cops coming in. And one of my questions is going to be, how do they respond when and if they get pulled over? That way they'll know. I have to start educating my kids. That way they can respond accordingly how they're supposed to. Just to kind of um, a note on what Arnie asked about um, the Blue Lives Matter potential legislation. I think that um, a part of the problem, Arnie, <laughs> is that, uh, like you said, most officers are upstanding officers and they do do, you know, a great job, but they also have to accept some of that responsibility because they see their cohorts and they let them get away with the brutality um, and their supervisors or their chiefs um, also let them get away with it. Or just like in the film where we saw Khalif Browder, who was 17 or 18, um, getting beaten by guards. The rest of the guards just kind of rushed up there and joined in. You know, nobody really took any time to evaluate. So the point was just that I think a lot of the responsibility lies with the good officers, the good officers too, because they don't speak up about it. And then I want to ask you, Richard, if you had any experience with like prison labor or any of those kind of things that we saw in the documentary? Yes. <laughs> My job, when I was at Western Correctional Complex, they had a lot of guys going out there in the, in the fields working. But my job, I was just a, like a janitor type guy. 
you know, cleaning up all the administrative building offices and stuff like that. I guess because of my attitude was like, you know, saying I don't know why, but they chose me, and I was like, whew, at least I ain't got to go out in the fields. <laughs> so I did experience that, but um, I made the, I had to make the best of it. I didn't want, I didn't want that time to do me. I had to do that time because I knew I was guilty for doing my crime. So I had to fix my mindset to say, hey. Oh, oh, man, three of them. Yes. I was wondering how you felt about the state taking the um, little box off that says felony. I had just did a paper. Um, I just graduated from Lindsey Wilson College, and one of my papers for, for class, um, and I did a paper, and it was talking about banning the box. And so my classmates was like, what do you mean? You know, so and when I was talking about it, I was like banning the box because so many times we get judged pre, um, pre, prematurely based upon our crimes, and so we don't even get overlooked. I could be, I can have the same credentials as this guy, but he he got the same education level, same GPA. Only thing is different is the color of our skin. But then all of a sudden, when they look at that box, you get the job, sir. Congratulations. <laughs> and so now. I can I get a better chance, and it, when I got out of prison, yeah, I was checking that box because I knew if, what if I and I thought so, and I told her, I'm not going to check this box. But then what if I had got the job? Then all of a sudden they come back and say, sir, you lied on your application. Now you're fired. Now the humiliation of everybody saying we should have just told them the truth. Who would have known that? So I'm happy that they did. I just hope it makes a difference now. And not just saying, yeah, politically, it's politically correct. I want it to make a difference because I need a change. I just got an a email earlier on the way down here about a job, a, a state job. I'm going to show enough try for it because I have all the, the stuff that they need for it. What do you do now? Do you work for the justice system? Well, I don't. I work for um, Insight Drug Screening Place, but I'm a sta I, I get um, I, I do have my state qualifications again, so I teach the 20-hour mandatory classes, and I am a, um, a, a DUI assessor for anywhere in the state of Kentucky. I can go and teach the class and be a drug assessor. Oh. Okay. So that's what I do. Oh. Part time. Oh, just part time. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Um. I worry about the mental health of those who have to serve time in prison. Um, would you, can you, do you have any information was like mental health care offered while you were in or in your observation, did other people need it? Did mental health become worse for you or those around you? From this perspective, from my perspective now, looking back onto that, I've seen guys where so they were, as soon as they get in, I want to come. They want they threaten to commit suicide or stuff like that. Um, or they, they, they would then all of a sudden they would take their belts or shoestrings away from them and put them right back in population or or under monitoring. Then um, I would see so many guys going through roll call or appeal call to get their necessary meds. I don't know what the meds they were on, but as far as a counselor, we cannot see one, especially in the county jails. Uh, when we get to prison. Um, they do have uh, counselors there, but they're more 
job placements or trying to see help us when do we how much time we got left how much stuff like that so it's not a, not a, a counselor for real so do they have the mental help that we can get in there no at my person when i was in there they didn't or it was not i didn't hear anybody else saying i mean i need to see a doctor i need to see a counselor i got i'm going through this and this we didn't see that From talking with Angela about you coming here and speaking with us tonight, I yes. know that you have been trying to get your record expunged uh -huh. and have been unsuccessful in doing so. Can you talk about the process and going through with an expungement and maybe where it's at now, what your next step is? Okay, under under Fletcher, I first applied under uh, Governor Fletcher then. Um, I did all the paperwork. I already got my rights. He gave me my uh, my golden seal. And then all of a sudden, um, when I did apply, I had the whole community backing me up, everybody. But then they said, when I when I reached when I looked at that um, the list that that had come out right before they leave office, I didn't see my name. Devastated. Under um, Bashir, his first time. I knew he, they only signed when they leave office. And so I applied again. All More letters, more letters, more credentials, more resumes, every, the whole night. I did it all. Applied way before time. I meet the, the deadline on that. Um, I looked, at my, looked for my name. No. I said, okay. This past year when we elected governors, I just knew I was going to get it then. That was December 4th of 2015. And I literally made myself sick that day, worrying about it. And then that night, she was graduating with our masters and the, the news came out that I didn't get it again. Broke my heart, I cried like a baby. Then, um, so I said, do I, do I give up? No. So now I'm getting ready to reapply. And hopefully that with all of this other stuff, I, I'm still adding to my resume and my, my background because even though I'm, I'm, pr I'm pretty sure I won't get it because of the Class C felony, so I'm going to still try to shoot emails up to all the ones in the, in, the, in the House up here, the representatives, the Senate, to see what we got to do to, to lower my, my C down. I don't know if it's possible or not, like we was just talking about her. I'm, I'm a show enough try because that's the only thing we got to do. What somebody has to do first is either go to the local parole office and ask them for their papers or the address to the Capitol, get the Capitol, um, and then write, start uh, asking, send a letter up there asking the, um, to get their rights uh, expunged, which is the application process. Fill out everything on the, on the check out everything. Don't leave nothing on blank. Um, in pen, don't put it in pencil. That way they can erase something, put it in pen and submit it. They'll send you a letter back saying, the office of the governor has received your application. This is not a guarantee that you will get it. It's just a process. Again, he only signed pardons on the way out of office. So I have to wait till 2019 maybe, 18? No, huh? Yeah, so whatever the four years, when he's ready to go, Hopefully I have all my stuff together and you can get it then. But then, um, like I said a while ago, a lot of people don't know that you can go locally to try to get it expunged. If it's a class D or a, a lower.
class. I don't know the different class levels, but yeah. I'm sorry. Um, do you think that uh, mental incapabilities do need to be addressed in the uh, justice system and the um, uh, county jails and the prison systems? I yes. mean, more because yes. sometimes in like the county, I've noticed that they aren't addressed. They're not. And uh, I, I, I had somebody in jail uh, commit a few people in jail that committed suicide. You know that that may have had some mental uh, addressings that need to be. You know so. And, they, and what they'll tell us is funding. Funding? funding. Money? Money. Money. That's, money. Okay. That's what it's going to all boil down to. Oh. Do we have the money to supply a counselor for this, for this area? Mm-hmm. And they did. Um, they just hired. They just started hiring one. I just saw a couple weeks ago, and I was telling her about the uh, prison counselors down there that is actually starting to go out more. So they and that and that position paid pretty good. Oh, okay. So so it is. It's, they starting to get it. Who's next? Um, I just want to know how you feel about having to go to jail for two years for something that some people would call a victimless crime. I saw a lot of. I see a lot of guys. Even when I go to court today, where some. And I see, I can have crack cocaine, you can have crack cocaine, you may get probation. I may get the jail time. Do do I think it's fair? Absolutely not. What do we have to do to change that? What do we have to do to fix that? We have to start writing our senators, writing our uh, representatives to say, hey, this is not right, this is not fair, we need to look into this more. Because if not, is it gonna keep on continuing? Possibly yes. Because again, prison is made to hold us down, keep us, keep us slaves, keep us locked up, but we can't be productive out here. But then again, if I get out here, what am I doing to, to say, hey, I, I'm not that same as I used to be? If I had came in here earlier with handcuffs on, sitting by the police officer, how many of you all would have sat right beside me? You would have looked at the handcuffs and sat over here. But I didn't have the handcuffs on then because I want you to see I'm not that person no more. And that's what I had to show a lot of people in Paducah. I'm not that same person. Yes, I can watch your kids now and teach them the right from wrong instead of being judged about it. Because now you can, I had a, I had a cop the other day just say, hey, in the summertime, man, y'all, you and your family welcome to my pool. Would he have done that years ago? Absolutely not. When I had him write a letter to me, I read that letter. And I had tears because I can see his tears in that letter. Not everybody gets that chance for the victimless crimes. Some people, like the, like the last guy that we saw on the, on the film, where three years later, he, he finally got out, but then two years later, he killed himself. I could still be going through the emotional, and I still get down and out because of my past, because I don't have the friends. Or my circle has grown a lot smaller. Because before, it was a party scene. Now it's small. I still get down and out because of that. But then I realize it's probably, it's probably a good thing because I would be right back in. I was wondering how much uh, preparation you got while, while you were still incarcerated for reentry. 
So when your time when your time was starting to get up, how much did they help you prepare for being out? None. Oh, that's what I was afraid you were going to say. None. Because as an old social worker, <laughs> one of the, you know one of the things that we were taught and that we believed in is that that prison time should be real rehabilitative, and if there are no counselors and there's no assistance with with reentry you know, then what are we doing? We're warehousing people and they get worse while we're warehousing. Again, when I got out of prison, how easy would it have been for me when I couldn't get that job, when I had $1.25 on my birthday, knowing I couldn't go out to do anything to celebrate my another day of living, I would have ended up going right back if my mind hadn't have been stronger. Because I told myself, I can't go back. But how many other guys, like I said, they'll, they'll ball until they fall because they, can't, they don't get that second chance. We got to prove ourselves, but if society don't give us that second chance, what are we going to do? We're going to go right back to, the, to being where we, where we were comfortable at and accepted by our friends. Let me ask a question. Before you, you got five years, right? Yes, sir. Okay. At any time, did you meet the parole board your first time up? When I did meet them, um, I, t I showed them all that I was doing, and they said, 12-month flop. Mm -hmm. And I was writing home. You know, I had everybody, you know, I had a couple of people come up for me, but they was like, that's not enough. See me in 12 months. After that 12 months, what happened? When I came up again, I told them the exact same stuff that I was going to do, and they finally granted my parole. So you were ready. So some of the suggestions that were made to you, did you – you follow through it, did you not? What suggestions? Because I mean, they, like they, for example, they asked, "Are you in various programs, or have you participated in various programs that by which they had made suggestions?" But I was, order? but I had done every program okay. possible already before okay. that. So what they basically done was looked at your record in your crime itself and, and said I wasn't ready. Right, and I was, and I went in there. Mm -hmm. I didn't have, I mean, I just went in there being who I was. Absolutely. Yes, sir, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am. Okay. But they still said 12-month flop. Right, okay. And I got down and out for a minute, and I said, okay, just 12 more months. I'll be out in 13, 14 months. What am I going to do with my time? I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing. I'm going to continue to go to the program, the drug and alcohol programs. I'm going to continue to go to church like I've been doing. And I'm going to continue to pray to God to say, God, help me get through. I'm sorry, but do you teach children too? Do you talk to children? Do you talk to teenagers? Yes. You do. I, I just did that earlier today up in Bowling Green. That is Green. so important Beca in this because, town. <laughs> and, and it's important not <laughs> only here. Because some of these some of the teenagers in this town, they don't have nobody to talk to. And sometimes they don't talk at all. And that's everywhere you go. <laughs> that's everywhere you go. A lack of. Sir, I was just wondering, what can the average person do to help people in prison? I mean, I know we can write letters, you know, to the state, but is there something that the average person can do to further that? Honestly, I'm going to tell you no. Because I can write letters all day long for this guy up here, but when he get out, what is he going to do? It's hard for me nowadays to put my name on a piece of paper for somebody because 
I know this person ain't going to do right. So. Well, I just, I was mainly referring to in general, just for the unfairness of everything. And again, not, not everybody is going to come out like me getting out of prison with a, with a positive mentality to say, I can do this. A lot of people, they'll get out and say, oh, I'm a convicted felon. I can't do it. I can't do nothing because society says I can't do it. And so it's hard for any, any citizen to try to give somebody a chance when we don't know that person. You know, does that make sense? I mean, I, I would want to, I give people, I hire people all the time with records because I know how hard it is to find a job. And if I see a young man over here struggling to get a, a, another job and he come to me, I'm going to give him that chance because I know how hard it is. But I'm going to tell that person, don't come around my equipment, my, my business under the influence of drugs nor alcohol because I can't do it. For one, I got too much, uh, too much at stake. My sobriety is important to me. My kids are important to me. You, you've talked a lot about um, your own positive outlook and how you know that had an enormous impact on your ability to you know have a successful life outside of outside of uh, of, of prison. Um, but we've also mentioned that there are a lot of people who, I mean, you just said there are a lot of people who don't. What about their circumstances or in some cases discrimination because of the color of their skin or poverty or, or you know, a number of different issues? Can you, can you kind of mention how those factors may or may not play into whether or not they have that positive outlook that allows them to stay out of the prison system? I just wrote on the board today up there at the day center, change the people you're with or change the people you're with. A lot of kids said, I said the exact same thing because when you're looking on the board, it says change the people you're with or change the people you're with. They don't read, they, when you read it, it just says to the same thing. But I asked them, what does it mean? And so I had to show them that if you are continuing holding me down and not trying to allow me to go somewhere. I have to let you go, whether it be my family members, my, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister. I have to let them go. I have to find somebody who's going to encourage me, get, build me up, let me get to that next level, and then I can pull somebody else up. A lot of times we don't have that because of the environmental factors that we're in. We, 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 we get out of prison. I seen a guy, I was working at a recovery center. He got out, of, he, got out, he left the recovery center feeling good about himself, but then all of a sudden, six months later, they found him up here in Green River floating because he went back to that same environment. When we go back to that same environment, what is gonna happen? We're gonna start laying around in the same rut. We're gonna start doing the same stuff that we were doing. We have to remove ourselves from them situations regardless of who it is. Yeah, it's gonna hurt me to leave you because you're my brother, but you're holding me down. Yes, ma'am. They, they will tell you that you must do this, this, and this in order to stay out. That's what they will tell you to do. You get a job, 
you you come in here you you your urine must be clean and then you you we no matter have no other issues a lot of times when they told me you need to go to an AA and NA program I said sir I'm not going to an AA or NA program they said why I said for me being where I am now AA stands for ain't the answer NA says for not the answer I said I have God in my life now who's going to keep me from that past so he said okay he said I understand that but if you want to stay clean I said what sir I said I'm not going I'm not doing the same stuff that I used to do you're more than welcome to come to my house anytime you want unannounced which I know you will and every time he came by he would open up the refrigerator and see a nice cold Dr. Pepper or a nice cold Mountain Dew and I would offer him one and then eventually he said you're okay I wish a lot of my guys were like you he said I said sir I got two jobs I'm trying to make it I said it's not easy trying to work in, uh, at Arby's and, and when I get a check all of my child support is coming out because my child support did not stop it kept going so I was paying 450 a month for child support so you take that 450 times the, the, the 25 months, it, was, it still adds up. And so all of my check was going to that. All of my taxes, I was looking for, excuse me, I was looking forward to getting taxes. But then all of a sudden when I get my refund, it's been intercepted. Down and out again, but at the same time I'm happy because my kids are being taken care of. When they told me I, I didn't have no more payments, I was so happy. Now I'm getting a phone call. Can you send me some money? Yeah, sure. Here you go. But we have to do it on our own. You know what I'm saying? They don't. They're not gonna tell you to go get counseling. They will. They will suggest it because if they tell you need it, they gotta pay for it. Because they're not a doctor. They can, how, they, how they gonna know? Anybody else? Yeah. Yes, sir. What, what is your uh, perspective on the inherent need right now for criminal justice reform? And do you think it's possible under the current climate right now? Under the current climate, no. <laughs> under the current climate, no. It's making it harder because of everything that's going on in this world. It's making it harder. We're going to try to do everything. The, the mindset, I got to protect my family. I got to do what I got to do to make it on my own because I, it's gonna be, I'm, I'm up against the wall right now. I'm fighting my way out. I can't do it. So, receive. Uh, I can't. Say, I never can say that word. We always, again, we always go back. Right? I can't say it. We always go back because, again, I'm checking the box. Again, this person is looking at my criminal background instead of saying. And I always, again, I always check. When I check that box, I say, "But let me tell you who I am now," in small print. And hopefully, I will be able to get my foot in that door because I know if I can't get my foot in the door, I don't have a chance because of. Who I am, but then they they look at me and they be like, "Well, I don't know if he's black or white. What is he?" <laughs> so I may go in there and say, "Hola." <laughs> well, then again, I might get it. I might get deported. So I don't know what I'm gonna say. <laughs> I'm just being real. <laughs> Anybody have any other questions? Cause I gotta get my kids back to Paducah. <laughs> Thank y'all so much.